folks, welcome to Off The Record, the podcast which delves deeper into the mysteries and wonders of society life here at the University of Sheffield. With over 150 clubs to choose from, the world's your oyster and the possibilities endless. Today in the show we have the co-chair and disabilities officer Lillian Jones and George Bunn from the Labour Student Society representing left-wing views across the campus. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So how are we? How are we today? Yeah, really good. Busy with deadlines, but yeah, excited for t- Christmas. Yeah, I'm tired. I was at a picket line this morning for a protest. So How was that, anyway? Um, it was Yeah, it was really good. It was a National Education Union-endorsed uh, uh, picket. So it was really well attended. Unfortunately, like there was a couple of scabs that uh, like broke the picket. So um, they, they decided to go in and still work, even though the union had um, said that it's strike action. But generally the the strike is has been effective and i guess that really is the essence of labor essentially so what is the what is the labor society as a whole and for people who don't have any idea about politics just to give us an overview i think like a good way of looking at it is that we're interested in like the political movement as a whole we're interested in left-wing politics as a whole we're also interested in just like making society fair for people so we're doing that on a student level we're not saying that we're trying to change the world in a day, we're just doing what we can. We campaign for local MPs, we meet up for socials, it's meeting with other like-minded people. It's just like a good way of getting involved in politics and sort of a good way of, yeah, starting to get involved at this age. So how has the society grown? Because it is by far the biggest society in terms of membership, if you look at the Conservatives, Lib Dems and Greens, that if you pretty put all three of them together, the membership will pretty still be less than the Labour Society here at the uni. So how has it grown over the years then? I think people are just really passionate about like the labour movement and the labour cause um, and I think that we're a society that works really really hard for our members like we put on loads of socials we put on loads of different types of events um, and I think that it's a sort of combination of those two that people care about labour party people care about you know changing the society that we live in but they also care about well-run you know socials and things that they enjoy so what kind of events have you had recently then um so at the start of term we had a like talk panel with an mp um and We've done uh, sort of uh, endorsing like people go to the national demo as like the last Forge article did on its front cover, like reported about that. And the uh, free education march. Yeah, yeah, yeah in London. Yeah, yeah, with Stuart McMillan. Um, and then we have sort of really regular political events. We had a recent trade union event, um, where some tra- young trade unions came and talked about like the trade union movement. Um, next time we've got some really exciting events coming up. We're going to have um, a debate between Chris Williamson and Richard Angel. We think in the works, um, which is like a really exciting way of sort of getting two sides of yeah, the debate. Yeah. Um, we're also doing it. We're like there's something else in the works between like members of the society. So different political societies talk, like potentially thinking about having a debate between those people. Um, so like lots of really exciting, yeah. Do you think Labour's changing a lot from what it was in the mid-2000s to now? And do you think there's any room for, let's say, policies or ideas from the mid-2000s of of what New Labour had to what is becoming now, that it is a party for for people who are socially liberal, a party for people who have economically uh, central ideas, but potentially on on a a lot of left-wing policies will be thinking, look, we need to make society fairer as a whole i think labor always has and i hope it always will be a broad church um i think there's no point having one single view represented across the whole of the party it's really important that we have healthy political debate about different sides of the argument so although i think it is changing you can see the change definitely i still think there's room in the party for everyone who like believes that Labour party is their home there's there'll always be room for those people yeah because like every uh, decision that's made in the labor party is done democratically from decisions on uh, on how to make councillors vote in council is done through um, a delegate meeting in uh, from all CLPs represented from Sheffield so we are the most democratic uh, party that there is and that is represented by our policies and our manifesto. So what inspired you to join up uh, the Labour Society as a whole then at, at the university? Have you always been interested in politics as a kid? Has, has that grown up? Um, personally I'm actually coming from uh, a family that has um, always uh, voted conservative um, my uh, interest in getting involved with politics uh, really stemmed from uh, Ali Day and uh, her boycott of the NSS and then my engagement through free, the Free University of Sheffield and then uh, sort of the campaigning for the general election um, because like to say quite frankly like we were hot on the game for the general election yeah. we absolutely smashed it oh, on, campa- yeah, on campaign day we had I think people in 
six, six yeah. nearly six different constituencies. I personally like campaigned for over six different MPs. We were hot on it, and like Labour clubs all over the country have been absolutely. And I guess the result now is that Labour have six MPs uh, from from the Labour Party essentially. In Sheffield, you in, mean? In Sheffield, yeah. yeah. yeah well, I think we should be really proud of our Labour MPs in Sheffield. Um, like, the sort of turnout we had at the election was really great. Um, yeah, and for me personally, how I got involved, um, I, I've always been sort of involved in politics. I've always found the Labour Party very fascinating. Um, like, my family, like a Labour family. Um, but I took a year out before uni. I spent half, about half the year helping out with the campaign in Cardiff Central um, for an MP there. And so from that, I then came straight to university on th- off the back of that. And I was involved straight away just because I sort of, loved campaigning and so what age did you really get into it both of you then um so as i said like uh with the nss boycott with ali day so that would have been my second year at university so i would have probably it would have been 20 yeah 20 20 yeah which is very very late but still but still it's it's one of those ages where i guess because you've got so many people around you that uh they can influence the sort of the way you think as well then and when you have good uh like good politics and you're engaged like you can go from just being involved at Sheffield Students' Union to being involved nationally, like me and Lillian both are. So Lillian is the, the North and Humber rep. Yeah, Yorkshire and Humber rep for Labour students. Yeah, so for the National Organisation of Labour Students. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, I've, so I'm, I'm one of those people that's been involved from a ridiculously young age. Like, I was sort of putting leaflets through door boxes and before I even really knew what they meant, probably. Um, but yeah, so I sort of just kept up, like, bits and bobs and then got more involved at university level and like George was saying I think it's perfect like place to get involved because you can either have had no experience and still get really involved and really um sort of into stuff or you can have a bit of experience and you're all on the same level at this point so did you have any role models growing up as a, as a kid uh, which have shaped the person is George you do music uh which for a lot of people would think hold on a minute politics music they're quite diverse uh, yeah, well, yeah, subjects that. So to reference uh, something Labour and something that I've done an essay on before, because obviously I love the left wing politics. Um, back in the eighties, that uh, nineteen eighty-six, there was an organisation called the Red Wedge, which was partly funded by the Labour Party, which was a musical movement to teach people about the the good things that left wing can do, and obviously, obviously spearheaded by Billy Bragg with like a New England, there's power in the union, and they've become left wing anthems. So. Disfranchising music from uh, politics is it's not something I'd, I'd ever see um, because the existence of musicians back in the 16th and 19th century was political. Um, for me, I'm like being a woman involved in politics, I think women MPs are really sort of inspirational. A lot of them have done really great jobs. Um, I think of that Cooper particularly. I've always sort of watched her career and being. I guess Harriet Harbin, another person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she absolutely pioneered the women in the labour movement. Is yeah, there's lots of really really inspirational women labour MPs that sort of really great role models. So what do you think about Labour's position in, in the country as a whole at the minute? Because you're Labour ahead in the polls, yeah. but a lot of people will be thinking because the Conservatives have been in government for seven years mm-hmm. and that there have been essentially so many cock-ups mm-hmm. is that they would expect Labour to be more ahead. Is that what you should be thinking right now? Yeah, I definitely think that we have a shambolic um, Conservative government who... I, as we've seen recently with the Brexit talks are sort of screwing up left, right and centre um, and I think it's it's hard to capitalise on that because I, people don't, just because one government isn't doing badly doesn't necessarily mean they're going to turn and vote for the other party um, but I think there's definitely things that we're doing well already but also things that we can improve on in terms of like capitalising on that vote that it, the Tories are losing, the Tories should be losing. Sure, so let's get into uh, one specific topic, uh, I think it's the topic, the B word that has been mentioned <laughs> throughout the whole of this year and probably in the next few years, Brexit. Uh, what is Labour's view on Brexit? Because a lot of people will be thinking it's fairly muddled. Barry Gardner said the only way in which, in my view, you could possibly contemplate a second referendum was if you had a threshold that I believe should have been there in the first place of a two-thirds majority. Tony Blair says it's reversible. Tom Watson at a party conference in Brighton in September said they wouldn't rule out a referendum and Diane Abbott wants freedom of movement. It, yeah. it, it does seem quite muddled. Yeah, and as you said, it, there there are definitely sort of um, murky waters about it, and I'm not going to try and like clarify the view of the entire Labour Party um, right now. Um, but you know, personally, I'm a big uh, Remain. I think we should have stayed in the European Union. I campaigned very, very hard um, for that result, and unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Um, I think 
the what Keir Starmer's been calling for recently, where I think it was about um, what she he said that if there's not by 2019 or something that we should look the, at like the two-year transition period. Two-year yeah. transition period, yeah. Um, and I think I think he's been doing some really really excellent work on sort of making it really clear like he's our European, like he's our Brexit person, and that's what who like who we should be looking to. Yeah, I don't know, George, what you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I voted Remain. Um, I think that's that's quite synonymous with lots of uh, people in the young Labour movement. Um, was that quite an easy decision for both of you then? I mean, it absolutely was. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It wasn't even really a decision. I just like that's. I was never going to vote any other way. Because, I mean, Labour say that they want to keep the benefits of the single market and customs union, but again, the the benefits. Does it does it mean that you have to stay in the single market and customs union? Because I think a lot of people. Mm. I was speaking to Lawrence Smith, uh, uh, who's the chairman of the Conservative Association, two weeks ago, and he said, "Look, in, in the referendum, there were people such as David Cameron, being the obvious one, who said, if we leave the European Union, we're going to leave the single market and customs union. That's clear cut. What's your view on that?" I mean, throughout the campaign for the um, either side of which you were on the EU election, there was misinformation and it wasn't very that clear between. So the distinction between uh, the different of what it would entail to leave Europe wasn't always clear on uh, on the leave side, nor would uh, nor was the campaigning on the, the the side to remain was completely coherent throughout its camp- entire campaign, but. Um, so sometimes people may have voted to leave the single market, and that's an absolutely like risk, like thing that they're absolutely entitled to vote to vote for because that's their view, their view and their opinion. But um, not everyone uh, on the remain uh, on the leave side will have voted for that, and we haven't voted for each individual parts. Um, actually, as we've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks in Parliament, as in the Animal Rights Act is deeming animals not to be sentient beings, which philosophically is absolutely ridiculous. Like. I don't think um, anyone would really have voted to leave Europe on the on, on the condition that like, animals wouldn't be sentient beings, and so the only way to get clear information on what it means to entail is to do this in a more open, democratic manner. As we've seen today, David Davis, the Brexit minister, saying that there had in the past in the House of Commons been saying that there's been fifty eight reports done into uh, the government's leaving of the European Union, but in a uh, Parliament Select Committee today, it'd been announced that he'd lied and there was zero. Mm. So what we need is clear and transparent uh, democratic processes for for Brexit, so it can ben- it can be open and. Uh, for everyone on either side of the vote to, to, to just know what's happening. How do, how do you think uh, Labour would go about doing that specifically and w- what the role of young people here at the university would be to actually making sure that the National Party did that as such? In terms of securing it, the it, best? It, in terms of securing the best Brexit and actually being clear and transparent about the details of it as well. I think we're just, it's just about keeping pressure on this government. You know, they, they've brought, got us into this mess in the first place. They need to be able to like get a proper deal for us um, as young people and as a whole country. Um, I don't know how they're going to be able to do that, but I think it's about making sure that we maintain constant pressure on the opposition um, so they're always aware of what they need to be doing. Because I guess with the single market and customs union, you get the four pillars, goods, people, services and capital. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn on uh, 24th of September said... He wanted tariff-free access to the single market, but would be wary to commit in full membership. Uh, Chris Bryant, who's the MP for Rhonda, said mm. the only way this could be achieved is through membership. 66%, there was a poll then, 66% of Labour voters uh, in the poll uh, wanted a single market uh, deal. And we've seen what's happened with Northern Ireland recently and the DUP and the decision of whether they need to stay in the single market to actually have a, uh, a soft a soft border there and not a hard border which is I guess integral to the to the Good Friday agreement which was put in place in 1998 so I, I say what what is Labour's view in terms of the single market and customs union on Northern Ireland and the way the party will go about implementing that in the future it's quite a it's quite a strenuous topic but I guess it's important for so many people yeah, that's the thing. But as as you said, it's a topic that is very disputed. Um, you know, I think if our own MPs are disagreeing on it, I don't want to come out with a set, you know, view. I think it's, like I said, I think it's about making sure that we have the best deal for when the situation we have. Um, Brexit is, is, has happened. The country's decided to vote for it, whether or not we stay in the single market. I think it's, like, a very tricky decision that I don't think I have enough, like, 
qualifications or understanding of the entire thing to be able to make a clear decision when clearly our the leaders of our country aren't able to either so what would you say to them at the minute then to actually make sure that they are clear especially in the Labour Party I think it's very I think it's very important we have a very very clear voice on Brexit I think it's very important we have a very coherent view I think at times it can become a little bit muddled because it is people are so passionate because it is such an important issue the country feels so passionate about it and therefore our leaders are passionate about it as they should be but I think it's very important that we have a clear coherent voice about it do you think if Labour were, were potentially a, a bit a bit clearer because the Conservatives have been so muddled that you may actually find that the party could go up in the polls because Brexit is such a well talked about topic at the minute I mean um I've seen like Labour have um, massively increased in the polls, but that is uh, not just because of coherency on Brexit, um, but that's because of our strong manifesto and just norm, like actual just communicating to our members about what we're doing uh, and how we actually respect each individual members of our party's engagement and its ability to be able to partake in the party's democracy. Therefore, why we've seen a boost in people's engagement and trying to get friends and family to sign up for the party. Sure, okay, just want to quickly go on to uh, the effects of Erasmus uh, from Brexit on universities. Uh, it'll be a massive issue here. Uh, demand for higher education is so high that even if fewer EU students come to study here, universities would potentially be no worse off financially and would be able to offset the drop with home students. A drop in EU students would mean UK students can increase their chances of getting into university. That's a, uh, that's a statement put forward by a conservative uh, uh, minister recently what's your what's your view on that that erasmus a drop in uh, uh, students from abroad may actually mean that uh, uk students get a better deal i'd like to see the hard evidence behind that um, before i agree with it um i think that erasmus is like a really important part i think that let's not forget that british students go abroad as well um it's really like it really diversifies our university experience it's so exciting having students from loads of different countries here and being able to learn um different things um you know i the with the conservatives asking whether or not like what the people what we're teaching about about europe i think i'm very reluctant to like agree with what they're saying about having less erasmus students and i think it's very hard for them to say that to talk about a better deal for students when they tripled education, like, like. Do you think there's a bit of hypocrisy within that then? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to take advice on how to improve British university experiences from conservatives. Yeah, say. it's like um, going back uh, back to what Lillian said about the tripling of tuition fees and the removal of main grants. Mm. How are uh, h- home students um, going to benefit from uh, like the limited access of Erasmus grants when we've clearly not benefited from any of the Tory party policy on uh, higher education in the past anyway. So it's it's just kind of, ugh. <laughs> if, you had a, if you had a final message for the Labour Party on, on just on Brexit, what what would that be at the minute? I think just going back to what I was saying about like, coherence and a clear clear strategy, I think, I think we're doing very well with a situation that none of us asked for. You know, this was this, referendum came as a result of Cameron trying to sort of fix Tory and squabbling um, and it means we've had to leave the European Union which is like a fantastic um, like sort of place um, and I think that yeah so like I said we're dealing like we're making the best of a situation that we didn't campaign for we didn't, we didn't want um, but I think yeah just a, co- a coherent clear message is, is what we're looking for. Sure uh, moving on to uh, an- another talked about topic uh, Jared Amara uh, what happened uh, last month uh, Posts were uh, put a put a line. Uh, Guido Fawkes, mm. a conservative blogger, came yeah. out and uh, published them. Uh, just to give you a bit of background uh, to anyone listening to this, uh, Jared Amara's apology came after online posts from 2004 were published on the website. In them, he claimed singer Michelle McManus only won Pop Idol because she was fat, and said it would be funny if jazz star Jamie Cullum was sodomized with his own piano. More comments involving homophobic language then emerged dating back to 2002. Amara has apologised for these remarks and denies others put forward more recently. Hmm. What, were, what was your view when you first heard about them and saw them? Because Jared Amara is the Sheffield Hallam yeah, yeah. MP. Yeah. Um, as, like, as he said, those comments are completely unacceptable. Um, and I don't think there's any sort of... Uh, sort of justification for them um like this is an ongoing investigation so i'm reluctant to sort of make a conclusion on it when the Labour party hasn't done um so yeah but obviously those comments are unacceptable in any circumstances no matter how long ago they were um and i kind of look forward to 
the Labour Party making a decision about this um, and regardless of the decision, Jared making it clear that he's prepared to learn from this and move on in whatever way. So what's your first reaction when he was actually voted as an MP and were you disappointed when you found out these remarks then? I mean, as as disabled student rep. Um, for, yeah, disability officer yeah, yeah, at um, the society, yeah. I was um, very pleased because um, the percentage of people that are disabled in the UK um, is not representative of the people that are disabled as MPs. So mm-hmm. uh, on that note, I was very, very pleased. Uh, Jared has been uh, like uh, like instrumental in uh, defending not only uh, uh, people in Sheffield's uh, individual rights related to their disabilities, but also has done it for students. And obviously, because I have that such high regard for like his like campaigning and political awareness, I was obviously very bitterly disappointed when I, I heard all, all of these um, things uh, on the internet um, and like the statements of which he said. So um, I was I was disappointed because um, like one of our uh, Labour students members, uh, Manesh, who was the previous education officer, was um, quite instrumental in the ca- in the campaign for uh, Jared Amara and Sheffield Hallam, yeah. organising members um, because j- like um, and just getting people to actually go out and door knock, and I'm sure lots of us have um, are bitterly disappointed by that because if we'd known it at the time. I'm sure we, we would have been able to make more concessions ourselves. Yeah, I think, yeah, we work as a society, we've worked very hard over the years to um, try and get the whole of Sheffield Labour. Um, and I think at the time we were very, very proud of getting a MP in Sheffield Hallam. It was very nice to see the back of Nick Clegg. Um, it was <laughs> yeah, well, his reaction and stage pretty, uh, didn't, yeah. yeah, it was a bit different to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I like we were really pleased on the night. I think it was like a really um, big thing, but I, obviously, these comments are completely unacceptable um, and sort of it's extremely disappointing to see it to see these things happening. Do you think the vetting system should have been improved at the time as uh, Anna Soubry Conservative MP said recently uh, said on Twitter how on earth did Labour select him? Feel sure the people of Hallam Sheffield would have rejected him if they'd known of his past. Do you think there was a bit of a letdown there because the election was announced so quickly and yeah. then it was based on the CV of a person and potentially not the interview. Yeah, um, it's quite well accepted in the Labour Party that the um, the uh, process of selecting a candidate uh, like, did not take place in Hallam. And that's partly due to the, the short um, notice of the general election and um, not enough people actually nominating themselves from the constituency and not allowing the CLP to conduct its de- democratic procedures in a way. And that's due to a lack of ability from the person who nominated themselves and not doing it in the correct manner. So what are those democratic procedures? Do you know them Um, for for, for vetting MPs? um, I'm uh, not aware of the ins and outs of it, but I know that there are, like in general, quite fairly sort of um, in-depth analysis of stuff. But I equally think that, yeah, like George said, it was the timing, it's really tricky, but also it's it's very hard in this new age of social media to always be able to know every single thing about someone. Um, And I think that, you know, that's what we'll as a whole dem- democracy we'll have to deal with more um, as we sort of advance in technology in terms of like find, making sure that we're aware of what people have done in the past so do you feel in the hard. future that if an election was let's say held in 2022 let's say January that, that was the announcement and then uh, the actual uh, date was well, 2020, it's meant to be 2022 let's say 2023 uh, January 2023 and it was held in May 2023 uh, would you feel that Labour then would go about this differently and actually look at more background checks of the person given the precedent which has been set by Jared Amaro here? Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to hope so. Um, yeah, that would be something I'd, I'd be looking to see from, from Labour. And I'd also think that when, where there have been these instances where, not, not Jared Amaro, but where MPs have had to step down as a result of, you know, um, sexual harassment allegations or something like that, it'd be really nice to see all women shortlists in place um, in those constituencies because it, we need to increase the women, number of women MPs in Parliament. And part of the issue of all of this would be solved with mandatory reselection of MPs and ensuring that um, just because they've done good for the last four years doesn't mean that they all have the automatic right to that uh, seat again because that doesn't ratify the democratic procedures in a, in a, in a, a like correct way in a CLP. So mandatory reselection will actually uh, allow the um, process of like uh, like reviewing or screening or whatever phrasing you want of a person uh, more like in a better manner. Is there a sense with mandatory deselection that certain MPs may feel I, I, I don't want to say threatened, but that they would feel on on their feet constantly, and it could distract them from putting policies yeah. within 
government at Absolutely. times. Absolutely, I'm not a huge fan of mandatory selection, but that's again, this why it's good to see like difference mm. in opinion on the same side. Um, but yeah, I think mandatory selection. There's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of sort of. There could be distractions. Yeah, there could be distractions. I think it's important to make sure MPs are given the chance to fulfil their job properly without always feeling like they're being sort of tailed by the possibility of... Um, and I also think that MPs can be really fantastic constituency MPs, um, but when they sort of get involved in like the factional back and forth and they're sort of deselected as a result of maybe that some of their politics when actually they work hard day in, day out for their constituents, I think it's about looking at how they do a job at... Like, their job that they've done for those four years is it's very tricky to sort of come to right. I guess the question within but... Labour is how democratic can you get before it actually becomes it doesn't become realistic really to actually for an MP to sort of live the life in the in the way they're actually they they were me- they, they were meant to in yeah. that instance when they were when they were putting forward uh, their application as a as a as a candidate and actually wanting to actually. Uh, make a difference within society and actually make sure that they can put the policies forward without having any distractions. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, no, carry on. Because um, I don't view MPs as a job, and so therefore, um, like, I think mandatory selection will help people um, stay in tune with their constituents, uh, constituents and allow them to view um, the role or position as something that's, like, political and very active um, and not to try and reinvigorate, uh, well, rejuvenate or reactivate the backbench MPs to make them more political active to stop them feeling safe within their position because um, just because you've won one election doesn't mean you can have that position until the point of you die, that you die. Yeah, of course, but that's not what, like, yeah, absolutely, MPs should be challenged every single time. Um, you know, they should be having to feel like they fight, but if they're good constituency MPs, I think that's a... I th- yeah. I, that's why that's why I think the line becomes sort of blurred because yeah I agree it's not a lifetime job you shouldn't come into politics get elected when you're you know 25 and leave when you're 50 that's you know yeah. if, if you're a good MP that could be the case but that shouldn't be guaranteed but it's public service in itself a job they're paid that they are yeah they of, are co- paid, of course so it is a, like I don't, I don't know what you mean George, by saying it's not a job I think it is a job um, like yeah it's, it could be a short term job it could be a four years job but it's absolutely a job they do like very hard work a lot of them um, the Labour MP is sort of like representing us Sure. I just want to go on to uh, one one more thing about the, essentially the Im- the image of the party. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Clive Lewis, another pr- a prominent Labour MP, mm-hmm. uh, uh, has been alleged. Uh, he said he said quit uh, getting your knees. Uh, I, I won't say the next word to a to a male comedian on the stage at a momentum event uh, a few months ago. And Tory MP Nadine uh, Doris uh, yesterday claimed it was safe to say. Labour could no longer pretend to be the party of equal opportunities and diversity. Uh, what what do you make of her claim there? Um, I think that's absolutely untrue. Um, I think we're all, we we should always strive to be the party of equal opportunities. Um, and I think that's why we should always hold ourselves to greater sort of accountability in these sort of circumstances. We should always be the party that's more hot on these sort of topics, like across stuff, making sure that we are tackling all these like potential allegations that are going on. Sure. Uh, just moving to uh, locally uh, for Sheffield, uh, Sheffield City Council. I guess we always we always look at uh, central government and what the Labour Party are doing up in Westminster. But a, a lot of the time, I think we fail to look at what the local Labour Party do around the country at local level. Uh, so Sheffield City Council, I think uh, the big issue here. I think you probably b- both know what I'm going to say is that uh, trees have been a massive uh, issue around Sheffield with. Uh, uh, Jess Armand Thomas, who's the uh, uh, chairman of the uh, Green Society, the Young Green Society, here last week, and she said it was a disgrace uh, of what Sheffield City Council had done, and that they had let down their constituents uh, with this deal. So, Sheffield City Council this week are looking into the possibility of withdrawing from the highly contentious £2.2 billion PFY Highways maintenance contract, which has involved the felling of thousands of trees across the city. Do you think the way this has gone about is a bit of an embarrassment to, to Labour, essentially? I mean, um, so if we look at um, an alternative council, which um, has started its process of removing its contract with Amy, such as Liverpool, um, that's because uh, people within the, the constituent and the, the people who um, voiced their democratic right in council to show their disdain for the contract and did so. And clearly, um, Sheffield City Council are listening to its constituencies and, it's, and their... Um, Unex, like them not fun, enjoy, like, well, 
not um, being happy with what's happening with the, the PFI contract with Amy and cutting down on trees. So they are listening to the um, to the constituents. Um, but I think the larger issue here is PFI itself instead of um, the contract just with Amy. But do you think it's a 25-year contract? So surely when uh, Julie Dor signed it in 2012, she would have had a, she would have had a fair idea of what uh, she was expecting in the contract itself. That Amy would have gone out and said, "Look, this this tree is a problem. Other trees are a problem on the road. So let's just take down a whole batch of them because we want to cut financial costs over the long term." Yeah, I'm always sort of wary about students sort of wading into debates that are very like important to residents of the sort of um of Sheffield so I'm, I'm always reluctant to sort of make a sort of sweeping statement about what I think when actually for a lot of residents this like you said this is a really important issue um I think let's not forget that like all local councils have had like massive budget cuts um from central government um and that are constantly like day in day out having to struggle with those sort of things um I think this is like a very complex issue and people feel very strongly about it I think that there are definitely ways that Sheffield Council could have acted better in terms of like the sort of giving out these contracts, but then I equally think it's a very complex matter and I don't think any, like, yeah. Mr. the council spent £250,000 in legal fees in defending its tree felling operation, including £149,660 in costs concerned to a high court's order barring people from standing inside safety zones erected around the, uh, around the trees. With the protests, how far do you think they should go? As um, someone that's um, partaken in um, quite a lot of direct action um, tactics and protests, I think the uh, ingenious and the um, ability of the people that are involved with the campaign is very, very, very impressive, actually. Um, and I'm not, not saying this as, a, a, as someone that's a, a member of the Labour Party, I'm saying this as an individual. I think they're... Um, ability to continue a long campaign and stay active and not get dismayed with all the all of the things that the council have thrown at them and stay clever and ingenious is very, very clever like such as last week when they um, tied themselves to the deport fence of Acorn which supply the um, uh, vehicles and um, sort of lift things to help uh, fell the trees I think their ingenious and ability to be able to campaign on many different fronts and be very clever and tactile about it is is rewardable, as we've seen with um, Alison Teal, um, who's the uh, Green Party, the Green Party councillor, yeah, yeah, who received a national award from the the Green Party for um, her campaigning skills with the tree campaign. So we've seen protesters go inside the boundaries and essentially break court injunctions yeah. uh, in in the past. Do you think that if if they do that, it's taking away the point of the actual policy? And it's just concentrating on the protest and that they're actually being counterproductive to the whole point of protesting against the treason itself. I think... Oh, sorry, I'll um, No, sorry. What do you mean by that? As in you're saying... So if the, if the protesters draw attention to themselves so much that they're actually drawing attention away from why they're the issue that they're protesting about in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think direct action takes many forms. Um, they, The ones in Sheffield have been very effective in terms of sort of drawing attention to it in whatever way they can so I don't know I, I don't want to criticise the way they've chosen to go about the protest because I was, I was covering the one of the uh, uh, sort of journalism students so I was covering uh, a story on the uh, Vernon Oak tree a, right. a, a famous tree uh, in Sheffield Vernon K got involved and it, it went viral on social media mm-hmm. and I went down to the tree it was meant to be felled the, 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 it was judged that the, the tree had damaged the pavement and wouldn't allow cyclists to go past it yet mm-hmm. It was about five millimeters yeah. uh, out of the pavement, and because the council didn't want to just go back and back and back and actually continue to cut it down, that they wanted uh, to make sure that uh, through this PFI contract, because it's a twenty-five year contract, that the, the, the that the tree was one tree out of thousands across the city, and it it, it was viewed in that sense as just another tree, and they didn't look at the specifics of it. Is that is there a massive danger with PFI contracts with that? <coughs> I mean, um, so some of the trees in Sheffield, like uh, speaking from a disability point, um, some of the trees in Sheffield um, pose a risk uh, to users of the pavement and users of the road. So um, we all know how steep conduit road is in Sheffield. It's it's awful. Yeah, it, it's, so, it's not great for your legs. Yeah. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll give a situation here. So um, 
a person's a wheelchair user and they're going to try and go a conduit and there's a um, because of the the roots of the tree it's pushed the pavement up uh, and um, therefore it could pose a safety risk to users of the pavement so um, while some trees are being cut unlegitimately some trees are being cut um, to better the access of um, disabled people and any users of the path in Sheffield which obviously everyone has the equal rights to use the path if they're bodied or not. Yeah and I think like you said there are some individual bases that are you know should be looked at more carefully but like I've spoken to lots of residents who are quite unhappy with how it is but and let's not forget that these trees aren't being taken down permanently they're being replaced by new trees as well so it's not some of these trees are genuinely unsafe and I understand what you're saying in that particular case it might not be but you know it's, it's yeah. Do you feel that the people Sheffield deserve some sort of apology from the council or um, that we, 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 we can admit we have conducted a lot of uh, research and studies into putting forward a lot of social policies that have helped you in the city but on this particular issue we got it wrong I think um, Sheffield's still waiting for apology from uh, Margaret Thatcher for the place <laughs> of the mines so there's more important apologies to come first I think yeah, I, I think, like you said, I think that there are definitely ways that the like council could have handled this better. Um, if if they choose to give an apology, that that's up to them. But I think it's, you know, it'd be, it would be nice to get some sort of acknowledgement that in some circumstances they've perhaps gone over the line. Sure. Just moving on to education. Uh, again, a massive issue at the university, mm-hmm. and I guess it can be emphasised by uh, what happened in London a few weeks ago with the free education march down there. So what is Labour's policy on tuition fees and maintenance grants for anyone who doesn't know that? Do you know? Yeah, I think I'll take this one. Yeah. Um, so um, obviously we're all aware that uh, the Labour Party are planning to scrap um, all uh, fees for university and um, introduce maintenance grants for all, which is absolutely amazing. It will help benefit the access to university for so many unreached groups and generally they're like, we're um, I'm part of an organisation called the National Campaign Against Fees and Cuts and we're very pleased to see it on the national agenda because it's something we've been fighting for since 2011. Sure. With, with that, John McDonnell has consistently promised that Labour would scrap tuition fees. The NUS Vice President, uh, Amati uh, Doku, Doku yeah. uh, said that c- uh, consecutive governments have been loading increasingly unsustainable levels of debt onto students. Today's students will leave university with around £50,000 yeah. uh, of debt. Is there a danger, though, that in terms of looking economically... I was sp- again, speaking to Lawrence Smith two weeks ago, he said... Uh, t- to me looked him we have to look at this as a broader issue we have to look at this economically speaking as well and if you're borrowing so much money here then it, it could cost you uh, in the in the future I mean um, the Tory party is quite happy to uh, throw money at a minority for the DUP to prop up this minority government why can't it throw money at the, uh, the things that will benefit most of the people in the country a lot more than what uh, is currently being benefited from the failing Brexit talks. So I think um, criticising it economically uh, from uh, a, a, from Lawrence's standpoint is um, it's, it's just futile because um, there's lots of things that the Tory party are spending money on which is absolutely useless. Um, but economically, a more progressive tax system which works in the benefit of the people for many and not for the few and that will work. We've heard that slogan so many times yeah. now that it, it, it sticks in your head that one. Yeah, I mean, I've probably got it tattooed on me somewhere from all the stickers <laughs> from the general election but a more progressive tax system and a, a system that works for the people the working class people to help and, uh, and just reward them and um, because well we're here because um, someone someone else owns that factory we have to work there and we have to help them earn more money while we uh, lots of people live in poverty therefore a more progressive tax system will help benefit a lot more people and then be able to perpetuate um, higher education further education for lots of working class people that currently currently can't well can go but it's harder yeah yeah it's, it's cutting tuition fees a really good idea given what's happened in Scotland where Scottish universities have tended to pander to English and non-EU students who are exempted from free education and thus have to offset the lack of funding from Scottish governments so I guess in the future if Labour don't put a sufficient amount of money from bottom-up schemes into sorry from top-down schemes mm-hmm. into 
in, into education as a whole and then scrap tuition fees that you will get that danger that individual universities universities will go out and say look we need this specific amount of funding we're going to look at other uh, nationalities of students I think let's our university education system our like um, higher education system the way we have to operate in it is flawed um, I think that we need to be looking at I, I agree there's not necessarily the answer by like completely cancelling all tuition fees but we need to look at reintroducing maintenance grants we need to look at putting money to apprenticeships we need to look at a whole rejig of the entire system because it's flawed it's not working for the people it should be working for because I guess with the tuition fees uh, Martin Lewis a money expert uh, of course said recently that uh, tuition fees aren't the problem it's the maintenance grants yeah, that are absolutely. the biggest problem because tuition fees yes uh, yes the interest rates maybe maybe going up to four point from 4.5 to 6.1 percent but yes the threshold may have gone up to £25,000 when you have to pay that money back but it's still a long term payback you don't have to worry about that until you are starting to earn yeah. 25000 do you feel that maintenance grants should be a bigger issue for the Labour Party at the minute because it is that short term uh, that short term uh, problem for uh, people who are on a lower propensity mm-hmm. of income and they're struggling to get through the day they've got to pay rent they've got to have a social life i think mm-hmm. if, if you've been down to west street is that you you'll get the clear idea that you're mm-hmm. going to need you, you are going to pretty need a social life in in sheffield yeah. as well so uh are maintenance grants a big issue then in terms of the, abs- the labor party absolutely crucial because um when people from lower economic areas do manage to go to university, disproportionately they have to work to supplement their income to yeah. be able to um, afford to live. And therefore, people that are from the lower economically um, areas are disproportionately more likely to not attain a higher grade because of their um, having to work alongside their degree to be able to prop up their living standards. And therefore, that is an issue that is a labour issue because that affects the many, like people that can afford to go to university and can afford to supplement their income by, from their parents, like I'm actually quite jealous. I work two jobs through university and um, it's something I have to do to be able to supplement my income and me and Lillian are in the last year of where grants were offered to students mm-hmm. and I absolutely benefit off that because it means I, have to, I don't have to work 20 hours a week, I can work 12 and um, it means I can have a little bit more flexibility in my life and I'm so so sad that many students that have come to university after me don't have that and it's it's bitterly disappointing because everyone has the right to ex- education and everyone has the right to be able to see, receive those grants. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think we should be really, really looking at maintenance grants. I think they're a very important thing um, and I think that should be where our focus is. Um, do, you think, do you think they should be staggered in terms of income or should there be a set amount for a, a specific amount so let's say uh, hypothetically if somebody uh, was £3,000 worse off than somebody else on, on their course uh, and should the, should the gap be bigger or should it be let's say 3000 2000 1000 and you base it on that so um, one of the demands as we mentioned earlier in the show from the, uh, the 15th of November uh, demo was uh, living grants for all because we can see that um, uh, the current uh, finance system doesn't take into account um other financial costs that uh, that people may have, such as looking after a parent or being a carer, and so therefore, like the current system doesn't always work for everybody. It admittedly, like people that do earn more money, sometimes will um, w- their parents earn who earn more money, they will receive their, st- their student will receive less money, but um, sometimes maybe they're not in the economic position to be able to supplement their child's uh, loan. So therefore, like one of the only fairest ways that um, that we at the National Campaign Against Fees and Cuts can uh, articulate it would be is just a living grants for all because that would that would solve the issue. Do you think that should be st- a staggered system based on people's income? Less? If, if as you go up in the income, uh, you, you go down in the in the maintenance yeah. grants pro- so, proportionally. So as articulated, like um, just just before this was um, just because your parents earn uh, like over a certain bracket of money doesn't mean that they can afford to actually give you money in the first place. So therefore, a staggered system won't always work for everyone. So um, I, I, I just personally so think So it should that, be a base, a base uh, level then, yeah, I like, think. Yeah, um, there's campaigns within the Labour Party movement for universal basic income, and so I think that university students should get a universal basic income whilst they're at the university. Sure. One last thing on tuition fees. Uh, in 2015, the Department of Business, Innovation and Skills found that Working age graduates would earn an average of £32,500 compared with £22,000 for non-graduates. 
research by Jobs website uh, Adzuna also found that the difference between lifetime earnings and of graduates and non-graduates might also be larger than previously thought, potentially as high as half a million pounds. Do you feel then that the fact that tuition fees are fair to an extent because the more likely you go to university, the more likely the higher paid job you'll get and the more likely you'll be able to pay that back in the first place. Yeah, yeah I absolutely, no sorry, I absolutely think that, um, like I said, it should be a, we should be looking at our entire higher education system, our entire further education system. You know, yeah, university graduates are more likely to sort of, as you said, those statistics. Um, and I think that therefore we should be looking at things like putting money into apprenticeships as well it shouldn't just be about tuition fees it, tuition fees are very important they shouldn't be nine grand maintenance fees are very very important we should bring them back but we should also be looking at other ways of benefiting people who don't go to university would you accept just a hypothetical question to end this bit would you would you accept let's say uh, tuition fees at five thousand pounds but the maintenance grant was up to let's say three thousand I mean, maintenance grant um, flying a million, uh, Lillian's year. Actually, I do receive three thousand pounds maintenance grant a year, and still do pay the nine nine thousand. So, um, while five thousand pounds is a reduced fee, um, some people went to university on two and a half thousand pounds and still was on the same grant system. So yeah, no. I, th- I think it's all about compromise. That is something that like just by itself I, I think we'd, we'd need more than that but as those base figures I think yeah we could that that would be like a start of a compromise that start the discussion okay sure uh, so across the society you are one of the biggest uh, societies mm-hmm. at the university why do you think that's the case is it just being up in Sheffield do you think um, I think no I think labour cl- clubs across the country are doing well, very well I think it's the sort of rise of like young people being involved in politics, like partly as a result of Brexit, partly as a result of Corbyn, you know, the movement around Corbyn that's great to see. Um, I think people, like this idea that young people are sort of apathetic and don't care about politics is, is ludicrous and you can see that in the involvement in the club. And people probably saw on social media and uh, like members that, that were already at the university that we were, like we said earlier, we were hot on it for the general election and we can organise. So, um, the ability to be able to organise is one of the abilities to be able to facilitate and keep members, and that's one of the most important parts in running a society. Do you think within that organisation, though, that sometimes protests can be futile? If you know you're so far off a protest, then is it is it really worth getting out there? Um, what what do you mean by that? Sorry. So for an issue, let's say. Uh, Let's say the free education march, for example, if you knew that the Conservatives had, let's say, a 200 majority in, in Parliament and that they were not going to budge on tuition fees at all, would you still go out there and make the point? Is it, is it about making the point in itself as actually just creating the, the actual uh, uh, the argument for for your cause in the first place. I think as we've seen recently with, you know, the election of Trump in America, as we've seen recently with Brexit, as we've seen recently with us, like, unexpected snap election and then the unexpected outcome of it, like, politics is unpredictable, it changes a lot. I don't think you should ever get into a system where you're saying, oh, there's no point campaigning about this, there's no point getting active about this because things change all the time. Politics are, like, always shifting landscapes. So let's, if, if, you, if we care about an issue, we should get involved in it. You know, let's get ready for the next general election. Let's get a Labour government and then we can talk about these issues. Sure. And I haven't asked you actually, what, what do you think of Jeremy Corbyn uh, as well? How, how do you think he's gone? Because it, it, it's been quite a, uh, quite a rise. Yeah, absolutely. From uh, a year ago. Yeah, I will put my hands up and say that I didn't vote for him either time. Um, I'm well, that's why I who you voted for then. So I voted for um, Yvette Cooper the second, first time, then Owen Smith the second time, and I helped with both of their campaigns. Um, I think... You know, Corbyn had a tough job to prove people wrong. I was, I wanted to be proved wrong, um, you know, about him. And I, and I think it's been really interesting to see, you know, I, I publicly said as soon as the general election was caused, I was like, let's put aside all our party differences. You know, we are broad church. Like I said, I'm very proud of the fact we're a broad church. Um, but, and let's just like campaign for Labour government. I was out almost every single weekend um, for when the general election was announced, campaigning for MPs up and down the country. So I think that, you know, I've been really pleased to see the sort of engagement he's got, got with young people. I think that's really, really impressive. Um, I think... There's definitely more he can do. I'd like to see more from him in certain areas, but I think that his, like, he surprised me. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, pleasantly surprised. And George? Um, so, um, as Lillian said, uh, the elections for the leader, actually, I actually wasn't a member of the Labour Party when uh, that was happening. You came to it like 20, didn't you? Yeah, so, um, yeah. But um, that might be because I was uh, maybe a little bit too radical in my youth. I don't know. I'm not a new age hippie. But um, I... 
I completely love the that um, the socialist original past uh, origins of the Labour Party being formed by trade unions is completely being respected under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party, and I'm ha- I'm happy with that because trade unions always deliver. Well, not always because there are some terrible unions, but better working. Because well, the end of the 1970s, at times wasn't brilliant. No. The winter discontent and what happened there. Yeah, at times were hard. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that discussion had to happen within the Labour Party of like changing our, changing our sort of relationships with the union under New Labour. But equally, like George said, trade unions will always, always have a place in the Th- Labour there Party. There had to be the recognition of, of humility to an extent, but within that, the recognition of the tradition of where the party's yeah, absolutely. roots have come from. You know, we were we came from trade unions. Trade unions will always be a part of our movement. Should always be a part of our movement. So, yeah, I think it's a discussion that's always ongoing. But you've got to have that evolution as you yeah, as you go absolutely, and like change society times. changes and let's like change with society. But let's remember where we came from, where our roots sure. are. So, what about your plans for the future then, individually? Because uh, George, you do music, uh, Lillian, uh, politics mm-hmm. uh, as well. Uh, so, it, it, are they the roots that you want to get into then? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I think um, my involvement on national politics and um, like million million of quite well known people nationally within the labour movement. And um, so, w- what I aim to do is somehow or somewhat be engaged with um, political organisation or steering of uh, an organisation that I like, uh, believe in, or would campaign for. Sure, yeah. Lily? Um, so I'm very interested in like women in prisons um, and I'm not very interested in like I love the Labour Party um, I would always be an active member of the Labour Party but I think I need a bit of a break um, so I think yeah not for the foreseeable future like doing anything to do with politics I don't think not got an idea of going for the uh, for the uh, president's job at the uh, I don't know we'll see I feel year, like given that the, the trend has been uh, set by uh, I mean that's uh, a leading question because you're not allowed <laughs> to ask this until the 2nd of February yeah yeah but, yeah uh, I don't know we'll any, see. Any, any indication I guess is always any any notification yeah. of intent from anyone is a punishable offence by the returning officers <laughs> as I was the returning officer of the elections last year so that's a naughty question we'll, we'll leave that we'll leave that up <laughs> in the air but uh, we'll wait and find out uh, the coverage yeah, from we'll Ford should, the coverage from Ford should be uh uh, should be brilliant as always anyway and finally if you had a message to anyone uh, f- uh, who wants to join the society whether you're a fresher or a, uh, a postgraduate student what, what, what would that message be? I think a very um, sort of misplaced idea of student politics is that you have to know every single thing about the Labour Party or every single thing about student politics to get involved um, but that's not the case at all so I just say to people if they're interested in the Labour Party in any form um, come and just come to one of our socials come and meet us we're a pretty friendly bunch um, yeah. and we're always looking for new people to get involved like the likelihood some of the membership of our society will know more about a specific um, political area so I know that like one of the members of the society Mohammed um, Books knows a lot more about Israel-Palestine than I do and that's completely respectable and our membership helps engage us and educate us and so and um, like we're not here because we're we're the the, the don now all of knowledge of the Labour Party we're here because we're interested in organising facilitating things for Labour students yeah no. yes so come down <laughs> Lily and George uh, thanks a lot thanks uh, very much thanks a lot uh, next week we should be having the uh, final podcast of this semester with the Baking Society looking ahead to all the food that you get at Christmas uh, but from this week it's the end of our political series we've had the Lib Dems the Greens the Conservatives and now Labour I've been Tim Adams for this week thank you and goodbye <laughs>